welcome to This Girl Can, where we chat to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. It is great to be back in 2023. I'm Liv Nixon, and today I'm chatting to Mernaz Campbell, founder and CEO of Chemia and Chemia Reset, a now global company built to help pharma companies accelerate their sales performance. Mernaz came to the UK from Iran, aged just 20 and not knowing a word of English. Just three years later, she qualified as a nurse. And then in 1992, she joined the pharma industry. Fast forward 30 years and she's held roles with some of the key players in our industry, such as GSK, Pfizer and Takeda, before building her own highly successful company from scratch. A more driven and determined woman I think I may be yet to meet. So settle down with a cup of tea and enjoy, as this is going to be a good one. Hi, Mernas. Welcome to This Girl Cam. Hi, Liv. It's great to be here. It's lovely to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. No, it's, it's good. It's good start for our Monday morning. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> well, you are the first guest for 2023 and for this next, I suppose it's my second season, but I'm calling it the first, but it's the first of 2023. So it is an absolute pleasure to kick off the year with you. Yeah, thank you, Liv. Um, I think it's quite an exciting year. I'm quite excited about 2023, but also I'm really grateful for the break we had between Christmas and New Year. Uh, and I think it's the best holiday of the year because everybody else is not working. So we're not coming back to work to millions of emails and, you know, requests. So I hope you've had a good break over holidays as well. I did have a lovely break I, uh, with with four children and toddler twins. It's it's not the most relaxing, I'm not going to lie, but those three days in between Christmas and New Year, when the whole world pauses, um, is exactly what I needed this year. But I am excited to be back. I was absolutely exhausted after doing these first few um, episodes of the podcast. It's, it's hard work starting a podcast, isn't it? It is. <laughs> I didn't tell you. It's not just the hour of the recording. It's all of the stuff that goes before and after that can become a full-time job in itself. It can. I do. I do need to manage that. But it's so exciting because you reset every week, and I've got someone else to talk to, which um, I'm loving it. So, and it is. It's it's fabulous to be back, and I was really excited to start chatting to you. So, well, it's great because I think what you're doing is amazing. I was listening to some of your podcasts last night, and I think it's really good because this is really going to help a lot of females in pharma to, you know, make the most of the opportunities they have. So. Oh, I, I listened to your interview with Jen, Jennifer. That was yeah. really cool. Yes, I've been really lucky, actually. The response to it has been um, actually quite overwhelming. I really enjoyed the guests I've spoken to. But I think when, when it first started, the goal for the podcast was to help more women into leadership roles in pharma. And it's progressed from that now to just helping women navigate their career however they want it to look. You know, it doesn't have to be leadership, does it? Um, no, not everybody wants that that life it's more about empowering people to make decisions that suit them yeah I think we all leaders we all leaders of our lives so whether the position the title is leadership or not we all leading families leading you know careers so in essence it is leadership but it's not leadership as necessarily being a management role and having direct reports but I think what you're doing is really good I also work with HBA healthcare business women association and I think it's great to kind of like have a network to support other women. You know, men have a lot of clubs. So it's really good to have equivalent of that for uh, professional females as well. That's so true. That is so true. 
Listen, before we get any further into this, I need you to introduce yourself for me um, and for the listeners, really just tell everyone a bit about yourself. We can see LinkedIn. A lot of people may know you of your previous roles or what you're doing now, but what I like to do is get a feel about the person behind those job titles as well mm-hmm. that puts you into context for us in terms of the roles. Sure. That you so um, right now I'm um, CEO and founder of Kimia and Kimia Reset. Kimia is a Scottish-based company that offers um, sales and marketing solutions and help companies in the UK to accelerate their sales performance. Kimia Reset was a brand that we developed during COVID, which is an online learning platform that helps sales professionals and sales managers to get themselves from the point of being uncomfortable with omnichannel um, tools for engagement to being really competent and confident within six weeks. And that brand made our company go from being the UK-based company to becoming global. We've got, you know, users across Europe, Australia, and New Zealand, and hopefully we soon would have people in America using it as well. So how did I get here? It's been a bit of a, like a jagged journey. It wasn't like a straightforward. Um, I was born in Iran and raised in Iran, um, and I lived there till I was 21. Uh, and, you know, my first job was actually over in Iran. I remember I was working as a freelance um, typist, typewriter translator, and that helped me save money to move over to UK. And then when I came to UK, I didn't speak English fluently at all. Um, you know, you do second language. I'm sure a lot of people in the UK do French and German, but you wouldn't be able to go to Germany and hold a job. So I did English from the age of seven and I could speak pidgin English, but when I came over here, it was a real struggle to be able to hold a conversation. And I remember I used to watch BBC uh, news and I used to get a headache because I had no idea what they were saying. Um, But I said to myself, one day I would be able to speak English so fluently, nobody knows where I come from. And I think I'm almost there. In America, they think I'm Scottish or English. In England, they think I'm a bit Scottish. And in Scotland, they think I'm English. So I'm confusing everyone (laughs) with my accent. So I came to UK and I spent a year, um, you know, improving my English. And then I started nursing a year later. I qualified as a nurse and work as a nurse. And then I went into medical equipment sales um, and training. I used to do like, I was a nurse advisor and advising nurses how to use the medical equipment. And I had a fascination about pharmaceutical industry because pharma invested a lot in um, education of their staff. So I moved to pharmaceutical industry 30 years ago in 1992 uh, as a hospital representative with Wellcome Foundation, which is, again, quite an unusual entry point. Most people start from primary care. Yeah. And, um, you know, I and then Wellcome became GSK and I progressed in my career, became a therapy specialist. And then I joined Park Davis when we were launching uh, Lipitor and then Park Davis became Pfizer and I stayed with them for about nine years, I think. I did various roles. I worked in uh, regional marketing. I was a portfolio manager for Scotland and Northern Ireland. Uh, I held a senior position as a business unit director in Scotland, East Coast, uh, and I was an account manager. So I did lots of different jobs. And then uh, I moved to Takeda as one of the regional account directors back in, I think it was 2008. And that was just like an amazing, amazing job. We had so much autonomy. You know, I was responsible for PNL. Um, it was almost like running your own business. And because Scotland was so different, we always had 
more autonomy, even when they brought the central marketing uh, role um, in the job, then, you know, because Scotland was so different and I had marketing background, I was still able to do kind of marketing aspects of the role. And that was brought me till 2017. And during that time, I had uh, a family, I had two children. Uh, while I had my children, I did um, three postgraduate and diploma. I became, um, I did a two year um, diploma, postgraduate diploma in management. I did two year <laughs> in marketing. I got my CIM qualification and I did an MBA, um, a corporate MBA. Um, and it was hard. I remember like having my son in the bouncy thing hanging off the door frame while I was doing my assignments for my courses. And I was breastfeeding. So I was kind of like doing a joint assignment with people in my class. It was evening class. And I remember I was feeding Cam and then passing it to one of the guys to burp him while I'm typing the assignment. But it's, it, it is kind of like a bit mad, but yeah, it can be done. Um, so I was married twice. My first husband, you know, we had the children together. And then in 2016, so I was a single mom for a big chunk of it. I left my first husband at 2010 and I raised the teenage boys on my own while I was working. And uh, I remarried after they kind of like, they were 18, both of them above 18. And um, 2016, I remarried and decided to set up Kimia and moved to America. So I moved to America with my new husband and established a company in the UK. So it was sort of like a mad, strange career path that I've had, but I've, I've loved it. It's been fun. What do you think? What was your drivers at those times when you had young babies and you're feeding, but yet you're still pushing yourself to, to do that additional learning and to do, to do that additional study? What was it then, do you think, that was, that was driving you? I think um, it's a really good question, Lip. I think for me, it's always about why and why I do something is because if I want something bad enough, um, I'll make it happen. It's like I'm almost like a laser beam I, I need to know what I want and I think um I I was living in a really good you know lifestyle back in Iran and coming here to UK with a suitcase no education no language I wanted to recreate the quality of life I had in Iran but I had to do it on my own without like hardly any support so you know I wanted a good life I wanted to live in a nice house I wanted to send my children to private school I wanted to you know um have a good quality of life so I can go on family vacations. And um, for that reason, you kind of like look up to see what's happening. You think people in senior leadership or, you know, more senior jobs, getting a better pay, better bonuses, better career progression. And I remember my, my first manager when I was a hospital rep, um, I said to him, what do I need to do to become a manager? He said, it's a cash 22. You, you kind of like either need to do the studying and have the qualification or you need to have the experience. I said, well, how do I get the experience? He said, well, you only need to get the job. I said, how do I secure the job? He said, you need to have the qualification. I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I went to evening classes and did the two years of postgraduate qualification in management. And I think those things really did help because when I'm looking at my CV, every 18 months I had a promotion within the companies I worked in. And then I was really fascinated by marketing not because I wanted to necessarily go into marketing. I was fascinated because a lot of the materials we were getting was not really fit for purpose. And they were not really thinking about the end user of the message. So no. I kind of like, so if I went into marketing, I can maybe influence that. 
So yeah. I did the postgraduate diploma in marketing. And I, I remember um, uh, my son, uh, my second son was just born. So, and I was living in Scotland. My friend who we had done the diploma in management together was in London. We, we did in, like, uh, I think it was Westminster University we had done it in. So she said to me, why don't we do this course together? Because we got on so well and I'll support you. And I said, you go to lectures and pass me the notes and I study at home. And that's what I did. And then we sat the exam because the exam is kind of like a UK-wide exam. Um, and I remember um, I failed my um, case study first time. But again, every time I fail in my life, I just think, okay, <laughs> what did I learn from this? What can I do differently? Dust myself up. And I don't give up easily. I'm just kind of like a bit maybe stubborn. When I want something, I go for it. And then second time I went for it and I got it. And I honestly think Liv, every time I fail, I learn more. Like, you know, yeah. a driving test. I remember I had a driving you know, certificate in Iran came over here and I failed my driving test. But that made me go and take more lessons and I became a better driver as a result of it. Um, so, and then when I got into marketing, I found, you know, you could involve Salesforce to create content. You can actually involve customers in thinking about what is it that they want to hear to influence them to change. And then um, I'll stay there. But my fascination and, you know, what really drive my motivation is be able to do a job that you can influence all of it that's why yeah. the rad role really appealed to me and that's why in in the company now in Kimia, i'm still involved in the interface with customers because the minute you move away from them your knowledge becomes a bit outdated after six months so you need to somehow stay close to customers to really understand what the experience is and the experience changed so much during COVID. And even now, the pressure points for them changing all the time. So the only way you can find out is have a cup of tea with them or have a chat with them to find out what really is keeping them awake at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting hearing about your motivators and, and who you are as a person, because I think when you describe yourself and the, those factors that drive you, it isn't surprising that you set up a company yourself and, and have done this yourself because I think that it seems that that has given you the opportunity to bring together all of these capabilities that you have and and put it into your own your own baby yes you know it's really funny like you know when I left Iran my reason was because I wanted to raise my children in a country where they can have freedom to study and be who they want to be and they're not like worried about you know war and you know instability so that was a big driver and I didn't see my parents for seven years um so I raised my children without hardly any family support but I kind of think now I'm looking back and I'm thinking I'm glad I did that because my children have freedom to be who they want to be and do the jobs they want to do and my motivation for setup Kenya was can I have a company where I can live with my husband but also come and visit my children as frequently as I wanted and use the skills I've learned in the last 20 odd years in the UK to help NHS. Um, you know, the projects we do, we only do it if it's going to bring efficiency saving for NHS. We only do it if it adds value to patients. So I think even that elements of me being a nurse is still weaved into what I'm doing now. So if a project is not adding value to NHS, if it's not adding value to patients, then I don't even take it on. And 
it's actually easy to say no to clients because is I'm taking work that is aligned with my own personal values rather than the work that actually pays us. And if you follow your own values and align with your own values, you really enjoy working, enjoy life. People find you more um, kind of like easier to connect because they share the same values. Otherwise, they won't be working with us. Yeah. Um, and then you feel more in harmony with what you're trying to do. And I think at the time when I moved to US, I had an opportunity to take positions with pharmaceutical companies. But then one of them was in Boston. The other one was in Deerfield. And my husband lived in Pennsylvania. And I thought, what's the point of moving to America to live with my husband if I'm in completely different states? And the distances in America are crazy. Yet, like it's equivalent of, you know, marrying somebody in London, but living in Budapest, you know, <laughs> you have two yeah. or three hour flights to get to each other. And that's not a life I wanted. And even I'll move to Scotland. I'll move to Scotland when our children, my first son was two years old. And everybody in pharma said, Mernas, you're mad. You know, we lived in London. We were launching, we just launched Lipitor. There were management positions they wanted to offer me. But Mernas decided she's moving to Scotland because we wanted to raise our family in Scotland. And people were saying, this is a professional suicide, you know. But... We wanted to raise our family with one of our cultures. We weren't going to go back to Iran. My first husband was Scottish. So at least we come to Scotland so they can live in a Scottish culture. And I'm so glad we did. And at the time, sometimes I wondered, was that a big mistake moving up here? And people were even saying to me, why don't you move to Edinburgh or Glasgow? You're moving in the middle of Angus, in the middle of nowhere land. But then that's what we wanted to do. But <laughs> I think decisions in life needs to be based on life values and life priorities, not necessarily work values and work priorities. And then make work work for you. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. I did I did quite a lot of work myself last year. As I turned independent, um, just establishing my own values and working out what I actually wanted to do. And I think I made a conscious decision that I was only going to do things that felt right. Um that and it's just that some, you, know, you call it a gut instinct. I now call it just knowing my own values. And if it doesn't feel right there, then I know it's not in line with, with my values. So. Yeah. It's quite and liberating. It's, it's a brave decision, but then you thank yourself later for doing it because you don't end up doing things that feels not right. You know, it's following your soul without getting too spiritual. You make these decisions. You're not quite sure why. You just know it feels right. Mm -hmm. And look you know you can you can look with hindsight and say no I'm, I'm glad I did I was right yeah and you know sometimes you work in a company the company could be amazing and great but for whatever reason it just doesn't sit right with you you know inside you feel as if I feel I don't belong here I'm going through the motions I'm doing what they're expecting me and they have especially bigger organizations seem to have all these competencies and they want everybody to kind of like take all the boxes with the competencies, but we're all individuals and we're all different. And I found when I moved to Takeda, I, I suddenly felt I wasn't expected to follow a framework of being a particular type of person. They really valued diversity. And I suddenly felt, oh my God, I can just be me. I can just use the skills I had and be me. And I remember I went to one of my um, senior directors in the company um, to kind of like ask them a question about something. And they said, man, we pay you the salary. So you make those decisions. And I thought, oh, great. Now I can make decisions 
I make mistakes and learn from it. And I remember my previous boss saw me in the airport six months after I joined um, Takeda and he said, oh my God, I didn't recognize you. I said, why? He said, your hair is done. You feel relaxed. You're laughing with your colleague. Uh, what's changed? I said, I just feel I can just be me. So I think we need to look for places and work because we spend eight hours at work every day. Um, that's a big chunk of our life. We need to spend it in a way that makes us feel we can be ourselves and thrive in the way we are. And people value our diversity. People value our differences. We don't have to all be the same and fit certain boxes. And I think when you follow your own values, then you're more aligned with who you are. So it's easier to be me rather than be someone else. Yeah. Does that make sense? I relate so much to what you're saying. Um, yeah. So thinking about your life then, and we've, we've alluded to it a little bit because you've clearly had some fairly pivotal moments. Tell me about any particular moments that were so pivotal that, or sliding doors moments, if you like, where you could have taken a different route. Do you ever think about what your life would have looked like had you done something differently? Yeah. I think my biggest sliding door moment was actually back in 2016. I was doing, um, with my colleagues at Tequila, we were doing a charity ride to raise funds for my Loma UK. And we decided to cycle from London to Paris. Uh, I, I put my name down. I thought, yeah, let's do it. And at the time when I agreed to do it, I didn't even have a bike. I, didn't, I knew how to cycle, but I had not cycled any distances. So I kind of like trained for it and went for it. And it was over four days. So we kind of like started in London and it was, it was amazing experience. You know, we were cycling with patients who had myeloma. We were cycling with like oncologists. So yeah, because I was on the slowest group, I was getting to hear all the stories. Anyway, on the last day of the ride, uh, I was so excited. I'm going down this hill 10 miles before we get to get to Paris. Um, I um, but was going too fast down this hill and it was, it was lots of us because by that point, they wanted us to all arrive to Paris together. And I, I, I tumbled, I tumbled, did a somersault, landed on my shoulder and broke my shoulder and my arm. Um, and um, it, was, it was like a massive thud moment. I was like, oh, no. And then I got up. Um, the adrenaline was pumping, but um, they said, you can only ride if you can put your hand on the handlebar. Uh, and I couldn't. So they said, get in the van and they drove me to Paris. And just before getting to the finish line, I said, stop, stop. I, I just need to cross the line on my bike. So I got off and, this, and I asked two of the captains to hold my jersey because I couldn't break the bike. And I just cycled across the finish line and I went to the hospital. I had a beer, celebrated, took pictures and I went to the hospital. So everybody else went back and I came back to Edinburgh, I was in so much pain. Um, luckily, I didn't need to have an operation. Luckily, I didn't hit my head. I could have died. Mm -hmm. It was a big moment because I realized life can just go like a flash like that. But I'm so lucky. And I was doing it for a cause to do with myeloma, which was to do with people who have cancer of the bone marrow. My bone will heal. I'll be fine. But they won't. So maybe it was just a kind of like, connecting with them at a much more deeper level and personal level. So for a week, I was, you know, on tramadol and feeling sorry for myself. And after a week, I thought, I'm coming off tramadol. These drugs are too strong. And then um, I, I rang my employer at the time, was Takita. I said, I want to come back to work. My doctor had signed me up for two months. I said, look, my body, my arm is broken. I can't drive a car. 
but I can, you know, get on the computer and do work. And they said, are you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll be bored sitting at home for two months doing nothing. And I could have just spent that two months just chilling because, you know, I was getting married in September. You know how many things are involved in preparing the wedding. In fact, I decided after the accident, we will get married there and then. Um, But I thought, no, I want to go back to work because I just felt, you know, I could make a difference. I don't know, maybe I'm mad. But that was my decision to go back to work, even though I could have stayed at home and, you know, relaxed for two months. And during that time, we were doing a really, I was a channel strategy director, multi-channel strategy director for Scotland. I remember doing like a commercial agreement uh, and I was discussing, you know, um, a, a proposal with Cancer Network. And because I was at home and I wasn't driving, I had more time to read through things. And um, I spotted an opportunity, discuss it with medical. We capitalized on that. And then that made us to, you know, win the contract, become a first line brand across all the health boards in Scotland. And that that success led to future success for the brand across the UK, made the brand a market leader. But the, the big difference for this for me was I had told my employer I'm moving to America. It was just a case of when. So when I said to them in January, I'm moving to America at the end of March, and they actually put me in touch with people in America. That's where I had opportunities to go to Boston and Deerfield because I thought, well, if this girl is so committed doing this while she's off sick, you know, she could do great things in America. But at that point, I said to them, what if I set up a company and uh, provide similar services I'm doing for you to allow you to continue this project even after I've gone? Uh, and would you employ me? And I think the people, my direct, my director I was working with could see, yes, if she can do this from her sickbed in Edinburgh, she can do it from anywhere. Um, and I think that led to them giving me that, because, that project, because at that time, people were saying, you're mad, you're moving to America and you're going to do a sales or commercial role in Scotland. How could that going to work? Well, because I had done that while I was obviously, and I wasn't anticipating it. I did it because it felt right to me, but that gave them the confidence to give me that project. And that was the start of my career as a independent, you know, consultant and the rest is history. So yeah. that was my biggest sliding door moment wow. that started oh, really with an accident was. and turned out to be a wonderful opportunity later. Do you ever wonder what it would have been like had you not gone independent and what sorts of roles you'd have? enjoyed or do you never look back on you know Liv I've got this attitude to life that you come across road you know at t-junction you can go right or you can go left and I say to myself if I go right stuff's gonna happen and I'm gonna figure my way out of the challenges and I'll be fine if I go left stuff's gonna happen I'm gonna come across challenges and I'll be fine and I believe in serendipity as well sometimes we take a different path but it leads us to the path we went to be anyway. Like my husband now, he was my first boyfriend when we were 19. He wanted to marry me. I said no to him. And then years later, I married someone else, had two children. Years later, our paths crossed and we married. Wow. Do I ever think I wish I had married him first time? No, because I wouldn't be the person I have now. I wouldn't have the children I have now. I wouldn't have had the life and career I've had now and I would be a completely different person so I don't sweat the things that have gone past I used to I used to and particularly when we moved to Scotland 
at the time, you know, I was a mom with two young children, no family support in the middle of nowhere in Fofo. Um, and I took a career break. I didn't work for a period of time because I decided I was going to raise my family. I regretted not being in pharma and I went back to work. Um, and I often thought what would have been like if I stayed in London, what my career would have been like. But then after a while, I said to myself, stop, you know, beating yourself up. Be kind to yourself. Just love yourself and accept yourself just the way you are. And, you know, we tend to be too critical of ourselves as women. Um, yeah. And I think that's the big difference between us and men. Men just like confident about everything. Even they're confident about things that are potential shortcomings. We, we seek perfection. And I think we just need to accept ourselves with all our flaws and our, you know, talents. Um, yeah. Because that's our biggest challenge. It's not other people, it's not the environment, it's ourselves beating ourselves up too much. So I've, I've now, as I've got older, I accept, accept myself and I don't sweat the past. Uh, it doesn't really matter um, because even if I've gone down that path, I probably would have been okay as well. I'm here now. It sounds, it's almost like respecting the choices you've made as well, knowing mm -hmm. that at the time you made the choice because that was what was right and making peace with that rather than, yeah. like you say, beating yourself up if... If something isn't as you thought it was going to be at a certain time, well, that's for a reason. And yeah, yeah, be finding peace with and respect for yourself and your choices. I think every time we make a decision, we balance things out. We look at all the different information that we have and we make a decision. So at the time we make the decision, that's the best decision we made. If you go down the path and then 2020 and have a better vision, then in hindsight, we can say, oh, maybe you should, I should have done this. I should have done that. But that's irrelevant because at the time we made the best decision. And I think we just have to trust ourselves that we make the best decision at any moment when we're presented with opportunities or challenges and just pat ourselves in the back, say, well done. You know, you didn't kill someone. No one died. Okay. You made some mistakes. Doesn't matter. Just dust yourself and move on. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's where the value comes in. If your decisions are based on values and principles that are dear to you, then how can you beat yourself up by sticking to your own values? So I think that's where peace comes and, and you feel good about yourself. If, if your values is about making money, you make different decisions. If your values are about adding value, you make different decisions. So just I think we need to be comfortable with our own decisions and just live by it and Look for opportunities. What what could help us to achieve that? Yeah, yeah. It is like you say. It's it's a liberating way to to live, I suppose, isn't it? Um, yeah. To to find that level of peace within you that you are who you want to be. And uh, I mean, you've had a, a hell of a journey in your life. You've had so many of these pivotal moments that that we've talked about. Have there been times where and and I think I already know the answer to this, but I'm interested in in chatting to you about specifically gender and if there have been times where you felt more conscious of your gender than others in any particular role yeah I think um, it's I think it's relative as well because I was raised in Iran and I remember as a child I wanted to be a boy because boy had so much fun they could go outside play football they could go on a bike ride in the streets uh, I wasn't allowed to go outside to ride the bike because it was not the right thing for a girl 
um, they, 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 they could go and stay in a friend's house overnight. Um, you know, if I wanted to stay at my friend's house, parents, my parents needed to know like the whole family history before they allowed me to go and stay. But I think there was a lot more restrictions for girls, but I kind of like thought, you know what? My, my, my dad was really good. He, he knew the environment where we lived in, um, gave more opportunities to men. So he had high expectation from us girls. I was the youngest of nine. So he expected us to all have high education. He expected us to kind of like be strong people. And I kind of like, I kind of did everything boys did. I did play football. I did ride a bike, but I just did it within the limitations that I had. And, you know, when the revolution happened, the girls, we had to have restrictions about our dress code. We had to wear scarves and there were a lot of things that we couldn't do. And I think in life, you just have to accept what you can't change and change what you can't accept. So I decided to move to UK to continue my education and then have a life here for myself and my future generation. So in the UK pharmaceutical industry, I never felt, um, you know, my gender prevented me to go for the things I wanted because in relative terms, I thought, here is loads of opportunities. There was one time I noticed that I think I had my first senior position and I had my direct reports salaries. I'm looking at them. The two people, two men in my team that um, they're reporting to me, but the salary is more than me. And I noticed there is a like, pay gap um, and men are, are paid more compared to women. And that kind of like, I remember I challenged my boss and said, how come these guys getting paid more than me? He said, well, they started at a higher rate. And I thought, okay, that's a clue for me. So next time I'm going for a job, I'll negotiate my salary. Because it's like buying houses. You get the best price when you're buying the house or selling the house. Yeah. So with the jobs, it's the, 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 when you start the job, you negotiate the salary. And I've done that. I remember um, when I was, uh, had given birth to my second child, I had a, a career break. I had a career break, moved to Scotland, and that's when people thought I was mad. Um, <laughs> and I decided I missed working and my son was really young I went for interviews and I was I remember I was going for a final interview with a pharmaceutical company and the people in Park Davis heard I contacted them for reference and they heard I'm going for an interview they said well we thought you were going to go and become a mum and stay at home I said yes I've kind of like decided that's not for me they said well why don't you come back and work with us and I said what am I going to do you don't have a job and they said no we have an opportunity and I remember I was um I had just given birth. I was breastfeeding and I'd come for the interview. They wanted to see me and I went to see them. And I remember we were sitting down and he said to me, this is the, this is the salary we're going to offer you. Uh, and I said, okay, um, I can take this salary, but um, I need to have a nanny to cover the childcare for my children. And I need to have a salary that makes it worthwhile for me to go back to work because by the time you pay the nanny, need to be enough for you to make it worthwhile. So I can take this salary uh, and stay here um, for a while. And on the back of my head, I'm looking for another opportunity that pays me better so I can have a better quality of life. Or you can change that offer now, make it something that I can come here totally committed and concentrate on added value and not worry about, you know, how I'm going to manage my, you know, lifestyle that I want to have. And I pushed it back to him and he revised the number. And, you know, I... I kind of don't want to tell the details, but it was a significant pay increase compared to what he first offered me. But also bear in mind, I left London 
a, a job, moved to Scotland, didn't work for, you know, 18 months, came back to work. And the difference was a significant pay rise. And I was living in nowhere land in Scotland in Forfa in the middle of Angus. So I just yep. think you need to be clear about what you want, why you want it and communicate that and don't take, you know, opportunities not quite what you want. Because all the time you're holding on to things you don't want, you don't get what you really want because they're yeah. holding on that space for you. So I know I've answered, hopefully I've answered your questions. But um, uh, well, I think you've also given everyone a, a, a brilliant lesson in negotiating pay rights. <laughs> <in front. laughs> I have to say, it's, I find it utterly inspiring listening to you. You are so driven and you have made so many decisions. When we talk about things that have impacted you, and obviously I asked you the question around whether gender has been something that's impacted you. Even as you were telling me, I knew every situation that had come your way would be something that you would say, okay, I'm going to change that. <laughs> as a result of this, so you found out those guys were getting paid more than you and you found out you challenged it and found out what you had to do to change it. And, and I think that's the biggest thing I learned about you just from speaking to you for this short time is um, if there's something that you want to be different, you certainly wouldn't just sit back and complain about it. You'll find out what needs to change and you'll make that happen. Yeah. And I think uh, I've kind of got a formula in life I follow. I think you, if every time you want something, just think about why you want it. The why is really important because the why puts the fire in your belly when the going gets tough. And then yeah. be really clear about what you want. You know, if you have a clear goal in mind, it's easier to achieve it. But often... People worry about the how, and I often say, don't worry about the how. You figure it out along the way. All you need to do is take positive steps towards what you want and keep reminding yourself why you want it, and you figure out the how. You know, when I was leaving Iran without having any qualification, without speaking a language, people say, how are you going to survive? How are you going to stay in the UK? I said, I don't know, but I know why I want to do it, and I know exactly what I want, but I'll figure it out along the way. Or even when I moved to America or when I left Takeda to set up Kimia, they said, like, how are you going to do it? I said, I'll figure it out as I go along the way. And yeah. make, take massive imperfect action. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just need to take action because you learn from it. Even if you make mistakes, you learn from it and you readjust it. And then it happens. You need to stick to it, but it does happen and you achieve what you want. I'm assuming you've read Simon Sinek's start with why have you no i haven't a lot of people actually me mentioned his book but i've not read it no um, but i think i've lived the, that through my yeah. life experience yeah it will definitely speak to you um and actually i might add a link to the book in the show notes to this podcast because i read that book um a few years ago and it has stayed with me he's got another one as well leaders eat last Two of it. I mean, he's got some incredible books. Um, yeah. But um, uh, that, last night, I uh, just saw a short video of him on LinkedIn. He was talking about pessimists. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen him. It's like a one minute video. And that really resonated with me. He's saying he's an optimist. And I think I'm an optimist because I'm a dreamer. I, I just kind of like, I'll often think my glass is, you know, half full and I'm looking for the ways of filling up the other half. And he was saying the difference he finds in pessimists, he prefers working with pessimists that are action orientated because even though that they're pessimists, they're actually doing something and contributing towards achieving that goal. But 
pessimists that sit on the sideline and throw grenades all the time are not really adding any value. And I kind of like thought that really resonated with me because I think you get that in work environment, you get in life environment. And he said the real, the interesting thing is pessimists always say we are realist, but they're not realist because you create your own reality based on your own vision. Um, if you don't dream and have a positive dream, you never realize it. So I don't know whether that makes sense or not, but it makes perfect sense. It does. I haven't seen that particular clip, but I will look it up. If I find it, um, I'll send it to you because in LinkedIn, you see something and then it goes away. I don't know I'll have to find this. Yes, it's the weird LinkedIn algorithms. (laughs) Good. Oh, listen, I will draw this to a close because I have taken up enough of your time but it's been a real pleasure to chat to you thank you so thank much thank you so much and the thing is a real pleasure to contribute towards the cause that you're doing that is so close to my own heart and i really appreciate having this chat with you today and uh, i'll wish you well with your the scale cam series thank you so much and i'm so glad that you've been the first one for this year i think it's uh, just the january motivator that everybody needs yeah and i think you know if if people listeners thinking about I'm not happy where I am or this place is not giving me the energy, just do something about it and reach out to the, you know, girl network. You know, we're all here to support each other and um, you can make a difference. Believe in yourself and, and just do it. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thanks. Cheers, Liv. Wow, what a fantastic way to start the year that was. Have a look in the show notes for a link to the book that we discussed by Simon Sinek. If you've not read it and you've enjoyed hearing about the approach Mernaz takes to life, it's definitely one to pop on your reading list. As ever, if you're enjoying the show, please do give us a follow and spread the word. It makes a huge difference. Head to www.thisgirlcam.com to see the interview in print and see who my guest will be next week. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great week. Bye for now.